Hello and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Dom and I'll be playing host to conversations tailored for those who love the outdoors. Thank you for joining me on this adventure where I speak to a whole host of interesting guests with inspiring stories. And I am so excited for our next stop on this adventure, not only because it is the start of a brand new year, welcome to 2023 and the first episode of the Outside Native Podcast in 2023, but it's also because we are joined by Arj Thirichelvam. And Arj is here to help you stop listening to all that noise. And this episode of the ONA Podcast provides you with clarity on what really matters when it comes to sport, nutrition, fitness and your health. With more than 16 years experience working within these industries and using science to coach novices right through to Olympic athletes, his work as a university lecturer and having co-designed two sports science degrees for Oxford Brooks University means that Arj is in a very good position to be able to tell us the truth about dieting, nutrition, fitness and ultimately losing weight if that's your goal. Arj is the person who can help you reach your potential, which he does with so many people through performance physique. And we're in a very lucky position where we are able to offer you a 20% discount on the four weeks, four kilos program where group members shed over five kilograms on average, with some even losing more than 6.4 kg, which is a stone over the four week online program. And you can use Arj's weekly calorie deficit calculator to understand how to track your intake and treat yourself. At the same time, you can still eat cake, can still drink what you want to, but you're just staying accountable and using this online support in in small groups to lose all of this weight. Uh, ONA listeners get 20% off for January by using discount code OUTSIDE20! And you can do that by heading to performancephysique.co.uk. The program starts on the 9th of January, so head over now, get signed up, and get ready to lose weight in January. And actually, one of my favorite things about this performance physique, four weeks, four kilos, is actually the aftercare and how they then teach you to be more sustainable and maintain a good, healthy lifestyle. So definitely go and check it out. This was generally one of my favorite conversations that I've had doing this podcast so far. Really, really interesting hearing the science and truth behind dieting, losing weight, nutrition and fitness. And I could have sat there for hours talking to Arj about it, but we got uh, just over an hour with him. I was very lucky to be able to sit with him before and after to chat into a bit more depth, but really, really interesting. And I'm looking forward to putting this podcast out for you to listen to. So with that... Happy New Year, and let's get straight into this episode of the Outside and Active podcast with Arj. Wait for that train to go over the top. I can't imagine that it does get up. Oh, man. I, I yeah, presumed that was what it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even put two and two together. <laughs> Just to add some context, we're in the Waterloo podcast project, podcast studio yeah, in Brewdog. Right. And we've been, I mean, it's taking us like 25 minutes to start recording because we've just been basically <laughs> playing with all the buttons and having a chat. Hello, Arj. Welcome to the Outside and Active Hello, Dom. Thanks very much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. We're actually recording this on the day in December where it, it's been minus nine this morning when you travelled up. Yeah, I've travelled actually down. come down in a, a ski jacket. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> That's my ski jacket from winter training in Oslo many, many years ago. God, yeah, minus nine on the train uh, from from Solihull. Yeah, that's right, Solihull. Yeah, just south of Birmingham. And we're here today. And uh, yes, thank you, and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. We're going to start with a piece of advice from a previous guest on the podcast. Okay. And you don't know who this person was or who the advice is going to be. 
And it actually comes from someone called Dan Stanley, who is a support coach for men, supports men going through midlife crises if they're burning out at work, if they're struggling, mm. struggling in their marriages. And he really wants people to rethink masculinity and what it means and actually encouraging men to talk about their issues. And he also runs a group called Men and Mountains, which is a group that encourages men for free to come from all over the country and they just go for a walk and they chat. Oh, wow. And um, really, really nice guy, really inspiring guy. And his piece of advice that he left for you, not knowing that it was going to be you, is as, humans be- as human beings, we have two lives, but the second begins when we realise we only have one, which is uh, something I've heard before as well. And it's uh, smiling there. It's a yeah, poignant, poignant message. Is, yeah. what's, what's your instant thought on that? Um, it was Dan, wasn't it? You said his Dan, name was, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like we were talking just before we hit record about certain parts of your life and when you're younger, you don't think they exist until you get to that part. And I think certainly um, I am crossing that bridge as we speak in which I've realised that there are certain things which are more important than life and um, we get this sounds quite down isn't it one opportunity though to yeah. to really go for it and make the most and that's that's certainly my instant taking of it do you think because of the past few years that we've had as well and it just makes you really reevaluate yeah. what's important in life yeah absolutely i think it did for most people and i hope it's that stays i don't know whether that will stay for a lot of people we're very quick to forget about things <laughs> yeah um but hopefully that has stayed and people are taking a little bit more care of each other and, and of themselves well, that's a good piece of advice to start with. So thank you, Dan, for leaving that for us <laughs> Thanks, to start Dan. this podcast. Um, but the next question for you, and again, a staple on this podcast, is what do you love, Arj, about being outside and active? What I love is the fact that there is a certain level of peace and tranquility that only emerges from nature. And I know as cliched as that sounds, um, there is nothing which actually makes me feel uh, kind of more relaxed and getting away from troubles. You know, they're not necessarily bad troubles, but, you know, the stresses of the day than being outside. And luckily being a coach, I get to do that quite often. Um, but one thing which always, always resonates with me is, you know, I'm from, I'm from Birmingham. I've lived there my entire life. We are the furthest place from the coast <laughs> and in uh, 20, something like 2010, 2011, I decided I wanted to be a surfer. Um, and I effectively had this job where I used to work in nutrition all around the country. And one day I was working on the coast. So I walked into the shop and you know, big bravado. I was like, I need a surfboard. I've done a couple of times on a little foamy board. Absolutely love it, but I need a surfboard. And you know, they stuck it on my little hatchback and sorted me out. And then from that point onwards, I had a very, very stressful job in, in nutrition. But from that point onwards, every Friday night, I would finish wherever I was in the country. I remember notoriously one time in Loughborough, because it's obviously home of sport, really, isn't yeah. it, in the UK? I took my surfboard in. I didn't want to leave it on the top of the roof just in case something happened. And everyone's like, what are you doing with the surfboard? And I was like, I'm going surfing after this. And they're like, what time do you finish? And I was like, well, half ten tonight and they're like what time are you going to go surfing and i was like 6 a.m got got in the car picked up my wife on route we drove all the way to to a lovely part of the world it's um like wade bridge i don't know if you're familiar with with cornwall at all but it's a lovely lovely place and then we 
I'll be honest, I didn't get up at 6am and hit the surf. <laughs> it's probably probably about 8 o'clock and I was like, oh, you should have a, should have a lie in, you've got a day off. But very first thing that morning, I yeah. went for a surf and it was a lot of the time, particularly when you're not great, <laughs> you're not actually spending that much time surfing a wave. Yeah, You're standing there in, it's about 17 degrees, you know, in summer. You're standing there in the water and you're waiting for this wave to come. And there was a moment of realisation, there is a real meaning for this, the waves are kind of bobbing me up and down. I've got my wetsuit on. And I just realized that my chest felt better. I didn't have any kind of illness or anything, but it felt lighter and it felt more at ease. And it was at that point at which I thought, ah, oh, surfing's the thing. It's being in water, being near water, which relaxes me. Yeah. And I was like, okay, one day I'm going to be able to wake up and look at the sea or hear the sea. And that will be the goal. So um, let's make it happen now. <laughs> Amazing. I like that. There's a lot of people that that really love the idea of first thing in the morning, either whether it be surfing mm. or stand-up paddleboarding, swimming especially, open yeah. water swimming. It's massive now. And yeah. It's the idea of get out of your comfort zone, do something every day or three times a week. And especially with the water, it's that yeah. cold water shock, the benefits that it has as well. So so exactly. the, the goal is be by the sea, get, get surfing. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll look for multiple properties initially, Dom, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, be by the sea. Amazing. So there will be an introduction to this podcast of who you are and a bit more context, but in your own words, where are you now? Okay, um, so I am 17 years into a, a career in nutrition and sports performance. Um, during those 17 years, I have done an awful lot of different things relating to sport. I've worked in nutrition for Big corporates. I have um, written university degrees. I have worked as a, a coach to, I don't what's the best word, weekend warriors more so than elite. And then in the last five years, things really, really developed. And now the majority of my, my portfolio is working with elite athletes and particularly sub-elite athletes, those who are academy players who are looking for professional contracts and pushing them into the next realm. Um, of performance but also it's about taking those same tools and making it applicable and accessible to everyday people just at home they might not even be a weekend warrior you know there's there's a lot talked about this is what elites do and this is what you can do and it's like well actually no you know physiologically we've got very similar um starting points and therefore everyone's entitled to get that that benefit and it's my job i see is breaking down the jargon stopping all the misinformation that is it's just everywhere right now and then taking some of the things I do with the elites and make it really accessible and give it to, to my novice clients. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that because we were chatting again before we came on air about, for me, it's really important that people listening to this, they, they obviously want to they want to be inspired and be open to something new, yeah. but they also, I want them to take something away from this and we speak to, you know, we've had Olympic athletes on before that talk about their rigorous training and yeah. and that's great, but okay, what? How can I actually take this? So that's, yeah. I'm really excited for this conversation, and uh, and we'll get into into those points a bit later on. But just want to understand a bit more about you, so people can can know about Arge. Have you always been sporty when you were younger, active? Yeah, um, it's it's quite funny, really. So I'm from a very um, kind of artistic and sports family. Um, I was that 
probably for everyone else that annoying kid who at the age of 12 i was like six foot three already <laughs> i was like 85 kilos and i could pretty much go into any sport and, and do all right I'm never the, never it, the yeah. best but um i love sport i started in tennis and football quickly went into to running and basketball and pretty much have done all of those things all the way through um, until I was about 20. Um, and I think if things were, were different and on a rare occasion, my mum and dad do listen to stuff I do in the media, but I don't know whether they'll, they'll listen to this, but sorry, mum and dad. Um, <laughs> I do I do sometimes look back and think, okay, you know, I go on Power of 10 or I go on to see what, what's current standings of performance. And I think, oh my goodness, I was really good, wasn't I? I wasn't anyone forcing me down that path, but um, I've got to give a lot of credit to my mum. She was very much all about me just developing in the way I wanted to. There was, there was never, you can't do that, you can't do that. It was like, give yeah. it a go. And as a result, yes, I've always been incredibly sporty and into sports. It's, it's my life. Um, I would have loved to have made that my career, but I've adapted that and it still is my career, just in a different fashion now. It's interesting like you said, your your mum supportive about you developing in the way you wanted to. Yourself working with, like I said, those young people that want to, have aspirations to be a professional sports person, it, you must see the full range of parents and either, you know, telling yeah. them not to go down this path or really, really pushing them down this path. Yeah. It's it's really weird. Just as you were, you were saying that question, I... um. I suddenly realised I've never I've never put two and two together that I am effectively just doing what my mum did for me. I've never thought of that. Um, yeah, I do see the full spectrum with parents. Um, it was a period of time in early on in my career. I'd say you know this is the early two thousands where there was a lot more of the bushy parent situation. Um, in the last ten years, like that's been a lot less realistically. Um, and sometimes I'd actually like to see more of it. Um, but yeah, I've seen, I've seen the full spectrum, but I'd say, um, I'd say the impact of, of lockdown has perhaps made things a little bit more of an even kind of balance amongst parenting. And you know, at the end of the day, I don't think parenting is, a, is an easy thing to do at all. Um, so I'm not going to be telling it someone how to parent their child, but I will tell their child how to train. That's definitely what <laughs> That is your job. That is on the, that is on the CV. So working with novices, with people that want to be professional athletes, working with professional athletes, two kind of prong questions to this. Do you, what are the main differences that you see between that kind of three, if, you, if I was to categorise it? But yeah. then what are a lot of the similarities you see? Um, the, the novices, the, the novices, the sub-elites and the elites all just want simple answers. The common mistake, and I do a lot of coach education, so my business, Performance Physique, you know, we we have coaches that work with us, and to be quite honest, in the entire time I've run that business, I've had to train my own coaches because I've never felt they were either at the standard or in the same training philosophy as me, and therefore they've come with me the whole journey. Um because there's been too much fear from coaches in terms of sharing information with their client or their athlete, personal trainers with their clients, coaches with their athletes. 
for me, make my job as simple as possible. I will educate my clients or my athlete as much as possible so that they understand the reason we're doing something. We educate them once or twice, and then it's just about simple instructions that constantly um, deliver the, the training message, the training goal towards them. I think that's the, um, the major similarities. Everyone actually just wants really simple answers. No one wants to, to receive in the Krebs cycle, blah, blah, blah. They just want, okay, how's this going to make me better? I'd say elite athletes, um, I was really fortunate and... My wife always tells me off of saying I was really fortunate. She was like, you worked really hard to get these. But for 2012, I worked with two Olympians and um, they went on to represent GB and we've worked together ever since. Um, to be honest, they required the least out of every single one. Really? The elites kind of were just like, you know what? I just don't care. Just make sure I'm good. Do your part, basically. Um, it's that it's that sub elite, the academy players, the ones who are, you know, I'm I'm currently coaching. You know, I think it's a, a, a player from every single um, football academy within the West Midlands and one from the East Midlands. And they're all within different academy setups, and all of them have at least one squad of players, if not two squad of players, vying for that position. So if you imagine, there's there's effectively forty. 40 children per year and they start super super young now and whether it's deliberate or not they're the ones who are asking the most questions because they want to know why they're getting that doing this one thing over another and over another and over another and very often there is a, a kind of oh at club we get told to do this or this and i was like i know you do and that's the reason why you come and see me that's why such and such comes and sees me. That's why they come and see me. Because there is a real um, shortage within performance sport, particularly in that academy structure, of effectively um, paying our coaches what they deserve. And it makes the coach then really, really, you know, working with 40 children per year group, that's, that's impossible. Yeah. You know, I, I work with 40 individuals. Top. That's my entire thing. Um, so for them having to do that across individuals, across different age groups, it's just too much demand. And therefore, sometimes the information or the amount of um, continuing education that those coaches have can't match it. And therefore, being able to just say to, to players, you need to respect your coach because they're doing the best they possibly can for you. But we're going to try this out because this is going to help you in this, this facet of performance. So I think the, the, the biggest challenge really is is building trust and rapport with a, a sub 18 year old you know they're between 11 and 18 i had one one lad the other day you know talking about oh, I'm, I'm doing this i've been doing this it's like why are you doing that why have you changed your technique to that i saw cristiano do it and i was like he's a really good footballer but that aspect of what he's doing there not from a technical point just from a running performance point isn't helping his game he's like oh okay i just figured because i saw it on tv it's going to be the right thing. And that's, that's the kind of battles just about yeah. basically being able to, um, to support each individual and make sure they, they trust you and buy in with you. Um, and at the end of the day, everyone wants to know they've been told the right information. It's just the elites possibly don't want to think about that. Even, you know, they're, they're training for 
I think that guy in the Olympian, he was training for eight plus hours a day. Wow. And, you know, we had him on, I'm going to say 14,000 calories a day, and he wasn't gaining weight. 14,000. Wow. And so, that, you know, if you're spending eight hours just constantly physically exhausted, you don't want to think about anything else. So many moving parts. So just, just tell me what I'm doing is right. Yeah. And making sure I'm doing it in the right way. It's exactly that. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, I want to chat about social media later on. Mm. But with those sub-elites in that, what, a 15 to 18 bracket, has it changed over the past X amount of years since social media has become more prevalent in society? Yeah. Um, I would actually say I've just noticed something in about 18 months. Wow, okay. Before that, it wasn't a major issue. In the last 18 months, I don't know whether it's you know changing over to, to TikTok yeah. kind of thing. Then a lot of them don't really use anything else. Um, and perhaps it was harder to access those other platforms in the past. But in the last 18 months, there has been an awful lot of, oh, I saw this one move. And I was like, yeah, it looks like a great dance, doesn't it? It doesn't do anything for your performance, though. And they're like, oh, really? Why are they doing it? I was like, why did you, why did you watch it? And he was like, oh. Because it was interesting. It was just fun to watch. And I was like, that's why they're doing it. Because it's, it's like a vanity metric, isn't it? That's why they call it, view. Mm. Um, and I've definitely seen that as, as a, a challenge for lots of coaches. Um, for the people I work with, I have spent pretty much you know the first 12 weeks of anything I do with them in terms of building trust with them and that they have absolute confidence in what I tell them. So when I literally turn around and say, don't worry about that. Don't do that. You don't need to do it. They don't kind of still sneakily do it. They're like, okay, what an idiot. Why is he doing that? It's kind of like, oh, let's just move on with our performance. Yeah. Um, I would say that the hardest line for social media and junior athletes after that was about understanding the barriers between the coach and social media. Right. So a lot of these kids would be like, can I follow you on social media? And I'd be like, if I see you following me, I'll block you. Because I don't want that, that blur. See what you mean? Okay. So the, we have like a contract which each, each person signs and there's big things in there with parents. And, you know, when a couple of the athletes turned 18, the pet, well, I think it was 17 actually, the parents were like, look, they have to want this as much as you know, you and I want them to succeed. In order to do that, I want them to arrange all of their sessions. I want them to be arranging all of the consultations. I was like, that's fine. Yeah. He goes, I want them to be able to do it by phone, not email. I want to develop their, you know, their... Because we don't, young people don't want to speak on the phone anymore. Yeah. Exactly. And I was like, okay, that's not a problem. That's fine. I've got a work number. They've got a use it in that manner. And they're like, cool. I was like, however, you need to, you need to also appreciate that. I now have phone access with your, your child. So everything needs to be like really transparent. And they're like, cool. And it was about just taking those initial steps. And I think social media has just made it a little bit hard for some coaches in that respect. Um, but again, I, I don't know if it's come across yet, Don, but I'm quite happy at just put, putting down really firm blocks of, <laughs> no, we're not doing that yep. kind of thing. So it's yep. much easier. It's cleaner as well, yeah. And 
you work across a number of different sports and disciplines. What are a few of those? And then also, you know, where's your knowledge come from, your studies from back when you were younger? And how has that developed over time to be where you are? That's cool. Yeah. So my main aspect actually was around running and sprinting. Right. Um, So I I kind of used to be known as the running guy, the sprint coach. Um, And then because my, my knowledge became so broad from different things I did and people I worked with and studied from, um, I basically ended up moving completely into performance when I, you know, I used to have someone that I would say, cool, I'll do all their running aspects and they would do their performance part. And I was like, that's, that's not good enough for their performance coaching. That's not good enough S and C. So I would take on their S and C. So that then led me down a, a wider platform. And now I have, um, so I have runners, sprinters, Tons and tons of academy footballers. That's clearly the biggest area of the market, to be honest now. Um, I have academy rugby players, um, cricketers, and really, really, two really great cricketers. Um, we were speaking prior about how one of them's just been bowling. So he bowled at England, West Indies, and Australia over this. He's in his in Australia right now and it's yeah. obviously the test season just before yeah. Christmas um, so he's really really doing excellently another one, one of them's at um, Loughborough in, in the performance uh, setup over there smashing it as well she's doing great um, I have a national swimmer because swimming was a very big part of a, a middle section of my career um, I used to do the S&C the strength conditioning for swimming club that my wife was the head coach at she was quite well respected in swimming and therefore it was like okay let's bring that together so Kate actually works as one of our coaches yeah. um, for those who want to do whether it's swimming or whether it's Ironman triathlon that kind of thing um, so the, the field has really really expanded you know there's hockey players who come to me for rehab and stuff like that but the main aspects are running sprinting football rugby um, and then everything else is kind of the extras and those specifics have you know you have to turn your hand to, to specific things within those sports and disciplines but is there a constant you're almost your key message your set of values your mission statement that runs throughout yeah that's a really great way of putting it you know what if you told an athlete i'll make you more powerful than explosive find me one who wouldn't take that basically because every single sport relies on those characteristics if you look at football everyone will talk about that skill that skill that skill that skill that skill and then it always seems to, after every major championship, it'll come back to Mbappe's the, the fast, you know, faster than a sprinter on pitch. And before that, it was Ronaldo was, and then you know, Carl Walker and all this kind of stuff. And it's like speed is actually the invaluable asset here. Just to clarify it, I think they're miles off Usain Bolt's speed as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at the meters per second, they're huge volumes away from it. But they're obviously spreading themselves out across a number of different... Um, performance components but basically the thing that ties them all together is making an athlete more powerful more powerful for their body weight and then that gives them speed that gives them agility that gives them actually better chance of staying resilient to injury we think of training for these characteristics of speed and power making an athlete vulnerable to injury and this is where our endurance athletes really need to make sure they they focus on is that call this a lot of this work plyometric work Plyometrics actually look after our tendons um, and our, our cartilage, and therefore 
our endurance athletes who spend all their time plodding and in this one zone really should be taking on board some of those traits of, ah, imagine if each of my footsteps was a little bit more explosive. And how many steps are you taking over 26.2 miles? You're taking a lot of steps. And therefore, we can apply everything. And then, yeah, every every sport then has its, right, I'm now going to sit down with this, this person's sport, look at all the normative data, and, right, how can I build a program which is really personalized to the other aspects of their sport? Um, but power. Everyone needs power. Is that why people that... Well, professional sports athletes can often turn their hand, not always, but often turn their hands to other sports a little bit because if you have those core components of being fit and you know, that, that's yeah. their power. And- I think that's a good way of looking at it. I would say the reason why so many elite athletes turn their hand to another sport is because at the end of the day, they're in a one percent of the population. It's just that they're so much better than... Myself, at least. <laughs> um, but the majority of, of people in a sport... I mean, Michael Jordan switched halfway to, through his career to become a, a baseball player and still made it. And it's just like... They just have that something. Yeah. I think I saw during the World Cup, it was a video of Phil Foden and and Jack Grealish, I think just in a sports hall over in Qatar, kicking a, keeping the ball up and kicking it over. The, yeah. And, Social media and sports, you know, the the, the lazy pundit at home go, oh, I could have scored that, whatever. But sometimes they just watch them hitting a ball back and forth at each other with ease, doing something that I wouldn't be able to do. And it just makes you think exactly what you said, that they are just in that. Yeah, absolutely. 1% right. of the 1% of people that can just do things like that. that. And that's why it's so tough as well for these academy athletes, I'm sure, that you look yeah. after, that the realistic angle of the 1% of the 1% do go into this yeah. and do you play a part in that support process or is that kind yeah. of blurred lines as well? Uh, no, I, I don't think that. I think as a coach, you are there to support whether it's an athlete or a client. It is your job to look after their well-being. Right. I don't, if, I personally don't think you are doing your job as a coach if you're not doing that. I think you need to really take a second to evaluate what you're doing if all you ever care about are your own stats and data from I've got this player to do this this and this oh are they happy though so we we will speak about school we will speak about college we'll speak about home if they feel comfortable about it um, they do these forms for us which basically you know talk about stress management things bothering you all of these aspects and in our conversations you'll work out what are the, the cues in order for those things to come out? So for some of them, it is a one-to-one conversation looking at them like this. 90% of them, it's in the rest period of a, a sprint or a set or something. And for a very tiny amount, I don't know what percentage I've got up to, that's why. Um, but a very tiny amount of those people, it's actually when you're saying goodbye to them that they then turn around and say, oh, this, this guy did this to me today at... at team training yeah you know said this or whatever it was and it's like cool my sessions notoriously overrun and everyone just thinks oh it's because i'm really <laughs> rubbish with timekeeping i'm excellent with timekeeping but if if a child if a person anyone to be honest says something which i think i need to delve into that i need to offer that support you have to do it you just have to give that so i don't think it's stepping over your mark i think the importance 
lies around understanding your scope of practice. Um, so things around, there's like uh, telltale signs for certain types of abuse and there's telltale signs for certain aspects of de- disordered eating, those kind of things. And it's about being really professional and thinking, you know what, I'm going to refer to someone else. That's what has to happen. And I'm really, really fortunate. In 17 years of doing this, I've never had one of those. Really? And I hope I'll never, ever have one of those. It's really interesting. We talk about on this podcast a lot the positive effects that being active in whatever facet can have on your mental well-being. But, Mm. you know, whether it's you're a professional athlete or the person that goes on their park run every Sunday – it can work in a reverse way that if you're not feeling great and there's something troubling you mentally, it can have an adverse effect on your physical performance. And that's obviously very mm. important for the elite and sub-elite athletes that you're talking about. But how can people in that novice section then go, okay, how will it have an effect? If you're trying to run a marathon or a half marathon yeah, or a 10K totally. for the first time, it can have an effect. Yeah, totally. Um, I, ha- I haven't got the studies to, to hand to refer to this, but there's loads of correlations between um, your mindset, your mental place at that time prior to an event, let alone something chronic and long term, affecting your physiological performance. And it goes in both directions. So, first of all, accept that it happens. But the kind of overarching message I constantly give, and you know, let's not. Let's not make any mistakes. I work with tons of novices as well. It's not just um, elites and sub-elites. But the overarching message I always give them, is this the only time you're going to be able to do a park run? Or is this the only half marathon you're ever going to run? And is this the only marathon you you know, whatever? And usually they turn around and say, well, ideally, yeah. But I was like, but realistically, you know, is this the only one? And they go, no. I was like, cool. So how about we go out there and we see what happens? And we understand that. Today, you might run 4 hour 15 marathon. But have you accomplished more at the start or at the end of that than had you not got to the start line? There is, you know, my wife and I, we went running in this you know, disclaimer. You don't have to run in the ice in these conditions and stuff. But I was like, I'm going for a run after I finish work on Monday. I don't care the conditions. I'm going for it. My wife was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll come with you. And... We set out and we're doing like six twenty k's, and there's the whole thing of what's that going to look like on Strava? So I don't care, really don't care what it looks like. I have real arrogance or ignorance about that. I don't know what it is, but I was like, I don't care. I know by doing this, I'm certainly not going to feel worse than when I started. We got in and we were just buzzing. You know, we did four kilometers at six twenty pace. And everyone listening to this is like, man, I can tell why that guy became a coach. But it, <laughs> it didn't matter for me. It was just about, I wanted to go out there. I was out there and it was minus two and I got some fresh air and it was lovely. And that's the kind of attitude that we need to take for novices, elites, the whole whole lot, the whole spectrum, realistically. In terms of trying to improve that mindset and kind of a few tools, it there are a lot of things to be said about um, expectation setting and I think that's probably the you know you mentioned actually uh, like the, the passenger passenger driver coach or whatever you said a minute ago you know pub spectator of the, the match and thinking I can do that just as well expectation setting is, is really really key for you've given yourself four weeks here to train for a marathon 
if you said, right, in four weeks, I'm going to be CEO of your own company, what would you actually say that statement? No, that's ridiculous. It's the same thing. So expectation setting really helps. Um, and personal reflection after each training session to prepare you for the next, I think really helps. Um, and then there's, you know, there's loads of the mindful stuff, which I'm sure some of your guests in the past have, have talked about. Really want to pick up and echo that point around Strava and times because it's so, there will be people listening to this and I've gone through this stage as well, having found running in the last couple of years of, cool. oh God, I, I've, if I'm going to go out for a run, I've got to make sure, even if it's going to be a steady run, I want it to be at a decent pace because people are going to see this and people are going yeah. to judge. And if, if listening now, think back to when you were last on Strava or a similar sort of app. What do you, can you remember what someone's time was? Can you remember the average when you're just scrolling through? Like yeah. it, once you make that breakthrough from running or this can go to it, whatever sport or type of exercise you're in. Once you're, you get past that point of running, cycling, swimming, being a chore to it becoming, like you said, that exercise after Monday work where I'm going to go out with um, a significant other or a family member or a friend and go for a run and just feel good about it regardless yeah. of the time that, effect on your mental well-being and just general your your view of fitness will be so so massive and i I freed aren't you freed yeah and it's just i'm doing this for me yeah like yeah it's great when you do a great 5k time 10k marathon half marathon and it feels good when people oh that's a great time but similarly just the fact that you've got out there and done it and not yeah. You know, just sat there or whatever you've got out is is a big thing so i'm I'm glad you said that and it's really really important for anyone listening to this who's going think about the time at the end of the day strava's great right i think strava is one of the best things going available sponsorship no um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is absolutely fantastic right but we are all in such different places to run and stuff it it it's just ridiculous to think you have to it's effectively justification isn't it you know when you write in oh do my steady run or you know oh this was an interval session that's why the the time is it, yeah. exactly it's it's ridiculous to feel like that and the, an easy easy way of blaming this an easy way like a tool that if you're listening right now is that every time you go out and run without um, an intention in your head and you run at this kind of difficult pace, a lot of people refer to this as zone three, you are treading water. In zone three, you're not improving your ceiling, your speed ceiling, getting faster, getting ultimately what is fitter. And you're also not going easy enough to improve your cardiovascular system. And therefore, the only single benefit, that's a very extreme term, the main benefit you're really getting from that is just being active for the day and, you know, the stress relief, et cetera, et cetera. So how about you view that run slightly differently and think, oh, actually, my easy pace is seven minutes a K. So I should be walking and jogging realistically. And therefore I'm following an intention to improve rather than thinking, oh, five minute 30, you know, I could just about get my 5K done at 5.30 paces. Actually, if I was training elite, I'd have said, no, you could 100% have pushed to some 1K intervals there at 4.45 and that would improve your performance. Or you could have run that at 6.20, 6.30 and you would improve your cardiovascular system. Instead, you've been worried about your ego. You've stayed in this middle zone and you haven't really improved a lot. Never never really realised that at all. To you, slow down, basically. Yeah. 
Okay. I think I think that conversation transitions us quite nicely into to taking advantage of this conversation. And let me ask you some questions on it, behalf yeah. of the people that will be listening to this. And you know, might be some home truths, might be yeah. might be some interesting things we could pick out just like that. Um, what do you think, in your view, is the biggest mistake people make when they're trying to make a positive change in their life, whether that be they want to get fitter or lose weight and, and, and try diet or something like that? Um, taking too much on. Yeah, it's um, trying to do absolutely everything all at once and not actually having a clear message that you want to address. So focus on one thing, introduce others as time goes by, introduce layers of an onion to make your, your mission um simpler but say you say you're in your your 40s and you're like i want to get fit you think right i'm going to start running to get faster and i'm going to lose weight at the same time focus on losing some weight that's going to improve your running times just because you're lighter and then transition from the loss of the weight into running really interesting because i had that similar experience before when i was right okay i'm going to really jump into losing weight as well uh, when i was at uni I think I was being stupid and doing like a keto diet and intermittent fasting at the same time, probably only consuming about 16, 1700 calories considering I'm six foot three and at that point 90 odd kilograms yeah. whilst also trying to play football and go to the gym. Yeah. I was trying to do everything at the same time. Whereas now I'm understanding, okay, now I'm going to go through a slot, you know, trying to put on muscles. So I'm going to need to be a bit smarter with how I'm going to the gym and the calories that I'm taking yeah. on. And then I know in April, I'm going to run in the Brighton Marathon. So a few oh, months ace. leading up to that, I need to then transition from weights to maybe more cardio stuff and start yep. losing weight. So it's a really, really good point taking on too much. So how can people start that first step? So like you said, focus on maybe losing weight first and then start to go into the, the yeah. cardio side. It doesn't mean you don't do those things. Like if you enjoy your six aside and stuff like that, say you've got like um, a bar chart, bar chart isn't it, with all the columns. And you can, it's like your faders on your, your mixer there, yeah. actually. If you've got your faders all at the top and all of them, you're not going to last very long. You're going to blow the speakers. So let's have a couple of faders near the top. And if for the ones which are really near the top, you have to have a couple of faders which are near the bottom. And we just adjust those things where the, the main emphasis is for that period of time. So a starting point, if you're thinking, we call it body recomposition, if you're thinking you would like to lose a little bit of body fat and increase a little bit of muscle, then cool, why not do two to four weeks of just trying to reduce your body fat slightly? Um, and I emphasize body fat here, that's that's the, the important thing, but we're going to visualize that as, as a weight on the scale for most people, or a waist measurement, etc. After you've done that for a two to four weeks, then you can start to say, right, I've really enjoyed that. Let's stay at this weight now for a little bit and improve this aspect of fitness, this aspect of fitness, or this aspect of fitness. Cool, I've done that. Now I'm going to go into this next phase. And in, in coaching, this is just basic periodization. And we just block up the year into what it's going to look like. It's, it's not a, a kind of um, rigid map. If you have a rigid plan that you've got to follow... It doesn't work. Instead, just have a few tools that you know you can rely on each time. And I use all of these keywords because this is this is this four weeks, four kilos thing that basically I do. Four weeks, four kilos is about we'll do something really focused for four weeks. <laughs> By the name it suggests it, it's basically losing four, week, uh, four kilos in 
four weeks. So we're aggressively dieting. We're getting your body weight to a completely different place. And then we're going to try and educate you and get you into a position where you can look after your body at that amount without having to count calories. Any of those kind of really um, kind of mundane aspects of it and try to just get you gradually a little bit healthier and a little bit happier along the way. So a lot of people who do four weeks, four kilos, then stay with us afterwards to do what, what we would call a maintenance phase. And then they say, ah, I'm actually in a really good place. I thought I needed to lose a little bit more weight, but I'm feeling quite good. How about we actually increase my calories, but I'm smart about what I'm eating and I'm going to put on some muscle. And it's like, cool, there's your next phase. We're going to do some muscle building for you now. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my question around okay. around f- f- um, four weeks, four kilos, is that how then, okay, that's obviously, like you touched on there, it's obviously quite a, an extravagant weight loss. How then do you support people with being sustainable after that? Because I was going to ask the question around sustainability and yeah. and that's the key thing for people's life. You can't be on a certain calorie deficit forever. No. You know, it's all about sustaining and, and go through those periods. Yeah. I'm, I apologize if I'm jumping around too much for you, Don, oh, as well. No, I like um, it. With like the different aspects that we're going to talk about. But one of the, the biggest myths is that aggressive dieting, so large calorie deficits, basically result in someone yo-yoing or bouncing and gaining more. That's the thing, I, the term I see the most. Oh, but if you drop your calories really low, you're going to gain more at the end of it. That's not true at all. That's a lovely popularized myth. And all of the studies demonstrate that basically if you um, are in a calorie deficit, which is ex- extreme or aggressive, your actual weight regain, because everyone does weight regain, that's normal but is less than if you did a moderate or slow calorie deficit. So, for example, if you're on a, a calorie deficit, so reducing your, the number of calories you consume below your maintenance by about six to 800, which is a lot, and you compared that with a person who only reduced their calories by 200, the person who's reduced it by 600 gains, regains less weight, so has a lower restarting point than the person who did it, took it nice and slowly and steadily. Interesting, And that's the opposite message that we've always kind of been taught. Um, the idea basically behind four weeks, four kilos was dieting sucks. Dieting's rubbish. I love cakes and I want as many opportunities as possible to eat cake. Therefore, I want to get rid of this weight in as fast as possible way. And if after four weeks I've done that because I've reduce my calories a little bit further than normal, that actually means I can get to this nice point of maintenance or a calorie surplus once more. Whereas if I drop them by 200 calories, I'm going to be dieting for like 12, 16 weeks. You know, I've seen, I've seen people who diet for 24 weeks in a year. And it's just like, yeah, it's horrendous. Whereas I will, I'll do this four weeks, four kilos with people. And during that four weeks, four that they're focusing on this major calorie deficit, they're eating cake, they're eating chocolate, they're drinking wine, they're having beers, whatever. And it's not about this daily calorie deficit. Everyone's starting to understand about energy balance and it's these daily calories. It's about a weekly calorie deficit. Understanding that if you love going out on a Friday and a Saturday, that that's cool. You can have that social aspect of your life. 
we're just going to make up for it on Monday and Tuesday when you're really busy in the office anyway. And therefore, our calories are lower there and slightly higher there. And hey, presto, you're still having a couple of beers with your mates, you know, in front of the, the TV or whatever on a, on a Friday or Saturday night. And that makes it a little bit more manageable. The other aspects that I see um, like traditional dieting things struggle with is the, the whole thing of a good food and a bad food and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are obviously certain branded programs where I think it was their CFO got caught on camera um, or even gave a, an interview basically stating that it was their end goal for people to fail again and again and again so they stay on the program longer. Think back to what I said earlier. The goal for me is educate as many people as possible so that they're independent and therefore they'll do this for four weeks and then maintenance time, cool. So we just finished the, the November one. load of the guys are on maintenance with me at the moment and it's all about, okay, how can we now teach you how to move away from tracking your calories. So you're taking guesses initially. You've, you've been tracking your calories for two to four weeks. So you understand what that plate looks like. Now you're taking guesses at what those calories actually revert to. Over time, we get really rubbish at our guesses and what was 500 calories ends up being 700. But in a short period of time, you're making those changes. Then you're starting to move towards, okay, I understand that I'm going out on Saturday and therefore I'm going to have the masala fries and the the whatever. Really getting stuck in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm aware that probably I'm going to skip my breakfast or I'm going to have at lunch just a load of veggies with my, my portion of um, protein, fish, whatever you, you've opted for. And it's these mindful approaches which allow people to escape from calorie counting. And then once every few months, we're going to do a food audit. We're going to do 24 hours. Let's look at how much you're eating. And you've got to be honest because you're going to enter it into your, your app or you're going to write it down in your diary, whatever it is. And you go, oh, wow, my 2,000 calories I was consuming has now turned into 2,200 calories. As a coach, I'd turn around and say, wow, that's important. You're doing that six months later. You have succeeded. You're in a 200-calorie gain compared to when you were tracking you are the pinnacle of, of weight maintenance, yeah, basically. Um, but basically, it's about teaching these tools so that people can go and live their life in maintenance and do a little bit more movement alongside of that, that people are, are healthy. It's having that, like you said, there's that, that time of calorie tracking, which a lot of people listening would have been through, I've been through, where you're tracking everything into a yep. specific app. And then, again, like you said, you get used to what certain plates look like, what certain foods are that you will consume often. And then it's, I'm not calorie counting, but I'm getting a rough idea of what I'm doing. I know that if I'm going out on the weekend, that the next day I'm either getting some more movement in or I'm I'm thinking more about what I'm eating. But it's not... It's not consuming my every day like it was exactly. if I was calorie counting for six months. It's just having a bit more of an awareness of what I'm putting into my body. And it's really interesting yeah. you say about, as well, picking up on the point of the certain companies that want you to come back and, and, and come back. And I think it's James Smith that reminded me what he said about if, if you're hiring me to be your fitness instructor or you know a coach, I shouldn't be with you in six months. Mm. Like the the end goal is not to have me in six months, not to oh you've gone back through it. You know, let's let's yeah, do yeah. something else. And um, it, it's really interesting and reinforcing you talk about that. All all of what you've just said, and it's really 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 important. 
just for kind of taking a half step back and obviously we, we, we've gone to a certain stage, but for some people listening going, oh, okay, I've, I've heard of calories, or not I've heard of calories, but I'm aware mm. of all of that, but how much do I need to eat? You've said yeah. 2,000, I've said 3,000 or whatever. Where do I need to be and how can I start just on a basic level of that, yeah. that you're a science approach, data approach, calories in, calories out, and how it works on a basic level? Yeah, um, that, there's some really great points in there, Dom, actually. Um, so basically, with that, with that scenario of I, I know about calories and, you know, you said it just there in yourself that, oh, I, actually, I dumbed it down a little bit too much. There. I, people know about calories. You know what? In my experience, people have heard the, of the word but don't actually know what this calorie thing is. You know, saying me saying 2,000 calories, they're like, cool, well, that's green. <laughs> that's probably like one calorie, right? And it's like, no, that, that's actually an 18-wheeler truck full of broccoli and that's actually in itself... One million calories, yeah. you're still going to gain weight using that. Um, so f- for a starting point, not everyone needs to do calorie tracking. People with a history of disordered eating definitely shouldn't be doing calorie tracking. They need to be speaking with a, a professional, a clinical dietitian, those kind of aspects, reaching out to people for support initially. Um, the second aspect is too many people focus on what their app says, how many calories they burnt. Ignore that. I used to run a, um, a lab when I was as a university lecturer and our ability in a lab to measure how many calories were burnt was difficult enough, let alone with a smart device on your wrist, on your phone, whatever. Um, so stop accounting for those things. Just account for the things that you have a rough idea, which is your, what you're ingesting. So when you look at these, you need these many calories and then if you're doing a 10-mile run and stuff like that, you need this. Forget that. Just go back to basics of, what do I need to survive? So people can go on my website and after it type in calorie calculator. I think actually if they just go on a search engine, type in performance physique calorie calculator, it will come up. And we're actually building something very, very cool. Um, one of the guys who was going to come with me today can't, unfortunately his boiler's broken. He's building a tool for us, um, which is going to make understanding what calories you need over a week so 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 useful um can't go in any more details but that will yep. come soon um but if people type that into a search engine you will then see these options of how many calories you would need based on the sex that you choose and the um activity level that you are we are all really really rubbish at saying how active we are so <laughs> always be more conservative because realistically there's one there which says highly active highly active is that you're a laborer on a building site for 12 hours a day to choose sedentary or lightly active and the number it spits out it basically says that's how many calories you need to stay the same and then there's one for weight loss and there's one for muscle gain that kind of thing that's your starting point if you then think okay i'm going to go on a run for an hour you want to start adding in 300 to 500 calories and that's just going to account for that amount. Each of us have a very slightly different way of, um, people have heard of metabolism, but we get mixed up in what that word actually means, but basically a way of processing the food that we're ingesting. So the amount of calories we burn is individually very slightly different, but there's a really simple way of seeing whether you're consuming too much on that calorie calculation or too little. It's by weighing yourself, 
say every Wednesday morning. Um, what did we used to call it? In it would be. So this is what we were taught: rise, evacuate the bowels, and measure. So basically, you have to take the same measurement at the same part of the week. Yeah. And the reason we take it on a Wednesday is because your scales lie to you on Mondays. Mondays are, are notoriously incorrect as a measurement, and yet every single person thinks, oh, I've had a terrible weekend, what, what's the damage? Monday, let's go. That's a terrible way of doing it because we've got salt mass, we've got stool mass, and we've got water weight all in there on Monday. And by Wednesday, usually it's gone. So Wednesday morning, you're going to take your weight. And after two weeks, you return to those scales and you, you take your weight. And then you can say, okay, I'm losing weight and actually I wanted to maintain. Therefore, I need to up my calories slightly. Or I'm gaining weight. Well, I'm sorry, whoever it was. You said you were going to be doing three runs a week and they were an hour each. Have you done them? Oh, no, I didn't. Well, that's why. You've over-accounted over for it. So basically a starting point for everyone Type that in on Google, performance receipt cal- calorie calculator, and then they'll get these measurements. And at the end of the day, if they're dropping me a message, I'm probably going to look at it or you know, a member of the team's going to look at it. Uh, well, I mean, like you said earlier about metabolism, I mean, there's no magic superfood or something that yeah. increases your metabolism yeah, yeah, yeah. or you're decreasing your metabolism. And there's yeah. no, always oh, see, oh, you can't have this. You can't eat a donut. You can't eat a cake because that's just going to, well, you can't have that because you're trying to lose weight. It's like, well, I could eat. 10,000 kilograms of broccoli and gain yeah. weight, but it's a great food, so I'm yeah. not going to get it. It's really interesting. There's so much info. Weight, dieting, physique is such a f- an element of people's lives that ultimately doesn't make a difference. But to you, it, it could be the yeah. entire world, which is why there's so much information out there. It's difficult to get what is right. It's people yeah. going, well okay, I'm being told not to eat cake or this certain type of yogurt because it's going to slow down my metabolism. There's other people going, no, just just eat what you want. But you have to understand what the, which yeah, we've yeah, just yeah, spoken yeah. about, the core idea of consistency and sustainability and understanding the simple ins and outs. And, I mean, we've started now to introduce uh, calories onto menus which is a debated topic, yeah. and you, I'm glad you said before about people with um, uh, issues with their weight in terms of eating, yeah. and that's you know that's a separate you need to go and and that can have an effect on people. But what's what's your opinion on the calories on on menus? Because for me, I find that extremely helpful, but I can recognise for some people it can yeah. actually go oh, crap. Yeah, it's it's a really hard one. There is a part of me which says that's really useful as a tool um but i'm a i'm a dreamer and i would like to think that realistically we can just improve the education that we provide earlier on in the educational system um so people understand the value of food and calories and everything so that we don't put it on a menu because that that can cause anxiety for a lot of people it can put people off having an enjoyable social time you know there's there's non-negotiables that I have when I work with people. It's like, okay, it's a social occasion, so we need to do everything we can to make sure your social occasion is completely normal. Or it's Christmas. I don't want you to say no to a mince pie. Because you have, well, you used to be like one month to buy a mince pie and have that enjoyment. You've probably got two and a half months or something now, but it's still a restricted period of your life to have something you enjoy. 
So let's see what we can do to enjoy it. And calories on menus, I feel, probably has a ever so slightly larger bad effect on a, the population than another of the, the benefits right. as such. So I think it's a really, really tricky Tough area. One, yeah. um, I do understand why the government chose to do it. I feel like it was a knee-jerk reaction rather than a solution to the problem. It's interesting you're saying about the the Christmas period and people can get stressed about you know, alcohol and mm. and potentially taking on consuming more food as well. There's a video that's going around that people are doing about oh, this is actually how many, I think they do it in celebration boxes. This is how many celebrations you would need to eat to actually gain a pound huh. of fat if you would, you know, it's a lot like just just relax. It's not going to, if you have a, a mince pie or a couple of mince pies, that's not going to throw you off completely like, yeah. It's all about again that sustainability and that balance of life. Um, it, what what I've started to do, I'm asking you for advice now, is that I will still eat and go out and drink, you know, a, a similar amount to what I did before. But now I'm instead of having a beer, I might have a, a gin and tonic, or instead of having five beers, I'll have two beers and then a gin and tonic, and I'll have still have a sandwich at lunch or a egg or whatever. But I might have a a chicken and avocado sandwich rather than a all-day yep. breakfast type thing. Is that a healthy way to go about it? Is that smart? Is it... It's definitely smart. Um, so I'm not looking for reinforcement. <laughs> is it, I'm asking that on behalf of people. <laughs> no, it's, def- it's definitely smart. Um, so that would definitely be my approach during four weeks, four kilos. I would be looking for those swaps. Um, outside of four weeks, four kilos and teaching people maintenance... I would be delving into a little bit more about why are you making those decisions? You know, is there a reason you would like to have those beers as opposed to the gin and tonic? In fairness, I do prefer gin and tonic anyway, but I'm so using cool. I'm using it as an as, a, and as yeah. an example. And some people might be might have the yeah. same thought process. I mean, I will have a beer and whatever, but. And I'm not doing, oh, God, I hate gin and tonic, but I'm drinking it anyway. Like, I yeah. enjoy it. I'm not eating anything I don't want to eat. But I guess that's just asking on behalf of other people as well. No, that, that, so that your approach, I think, is, is really smart then. It's, it's, if you can ask yourself a question when you go to consume something, which is possibly in excess, and it's like, am I having this to enjoy the occasion? Am I having this because it's never readily available? Am I having this because I feel I have to? And depending on the answers to those, it should then change what occurs. So for me... If I'm having five digestives before bed and it's 9 p.m. already and I'm going to be asleep at 10, I'm asking myself, why am I having these five digestives? And nine times out of 10, it's because I'm bored or I want to change the taste in my mouth. So then I'll be like, "Ah, there's no point. Why am I just doing that? My five digestives. Oh, the five digestives was like... uh, Let's say 680, so seven, say 700 calories. And if I did that for seven days, then I'm at half a kilo. And it's half a kilo that I've gained because I'm basically just being lazy. Whereas if it was 9 p.m. and I'm having these five digestives and I'm saying, I'm starving. I've got to work until one in the morning. I forgot my, my dinner, but what is accessible? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not green. And it's not like a vegetable and stuff, but it's what I have available in my, wherever I am, you know, it's a port cabin, whatever. 
is five digestives. You should consume those five digestives. It's just about answering to the why. And I always say ask why three times because you get the truth after three. Um, before that, you're just making up stuff, basically. <laughs> just, just briefly, because we could we could talk about this yeah, for, forever. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, this is like great for me. I'm really enjoying this. We've you know gone through that basics of, of calories and what calories yeah. are, and the idea where you could eat digestive biscuits and still lose weight. You could eat broccoli and still gain only that and gain weight. But then you start to bring in macronutrients, which yeah. then, especially if you have a particular goal of building muscle losing weight they have more of a part to play in terms of proteins and fats and carbohydrates just go into that briefly and give people an understanding of how they can play a part in in your diet yeah so if you are if you are losing body fat basically it doesn't matter whether it's carbohydrate protein or fat that you're consuming just reducing your calories is the only thing that matters so the, the insulin hormone hypothesis is all made up there's no benefit to being low carb, etc. You lose weight faster purely because of the associated water molecules with a carbohydrate. That's it. If you're trying to be ultra smart about it, increasing your protein content, keeping your, your fat intake to about 25% and then the remainder coming from carbohydrate is the best way of doing it. If you're gaining muscle mass, yes, you want to ensure again that your fat stays at around 25 to 30%. And you want to make sure that your protein is nice and high. So that might be a figure between 1.8 and 2.5 grams per kilo of body weight. Basically, it just means hit a protein serving. But the most important thing actually is about regular protein feedings. It's the only time meal frequency matters. The eat little and often thing is a load of rubbish other than building muscle mass. And it's about something called leucine synthesis. Um muscle protein synthesis as a result of leucine content. And basically, if you look at your 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., you just want to split it as evenly as possible and every four hours or so have a hit of protein. It would be better for you to have a full portion of protein, so a whole chicken breast giving you about 25 grams of protein and then a little something extra on the plate to push it to 30 grams than it would be having handfuls of nuts all day which don't actually give you an awful lot of protein, but the fat content then would take you really, really high. Most people always think that fat is this dangerous thing to consume, and the reason we try, whether it's general public public, public, or um, everyday Joes, we try to keep that amount 25 to 30% is because it's incredibly important for your sex steroid functioning, for your hormones, basically. So if you're trying to build muscle, you need them to be working well and obviously if you're you're losing weight you want it to be working well and particularly for women you will lose your your period you'll affect your menstrual cycle by that um, fat content dropping too low and this is a, a real area it's um used to be called the female athlete athlete triad those of you female endurance athletes used to struggle with this because their their technical coach would do their nutrition as well and hey let's improve your power to weight ratio yeah let's make you really really light um, so that's something really important for, for both men and women, but perhaps more women. Interesting. And I guess with everything we've spoken about as well, gaining weight, losing weight, diet, nutrition, exercise, there are general rules you can apply to the, the human being, but everyone has this different specific set of, you know, and it's all about trial and error, I guess, sometimes. Yeah. And some people 
these uh, bodybuilders can maintain a seven eight thousand calories and you spoke about the fourteen thousand calorie yeah. athlete earlier some people have a lower intake of between 1500 and 2000 so i guess it's just finding that balance for you there is a there is an aspect of balance um there is a an issue that lies in terms of what is instagram versus reality um unfortunately a lot of basically the use of steroids is at its greatest amount in casual society in history and it seems to be traveling downwards in age as well. Um, the kind of more straightforward picture being that there are some women who will find it harder to lose weight than men, and it sucks. And it's really unfair, and it's another reason why we've got it so easy, to be quite honest. That basically, their BMR, their basal metabolic rate, the amount of calories they need to stay the same, is suppressed. So based on who they are, they should be able to eat, say, 1,500 calories and stay the exact same. And they're, you know, they're, they're saying, oh, I'm gaining weight. It's because they've struggled with this thing, which has suppressed their BMR. And actually, it's altered it to 1,000. So if they consume anything over 1,000 calories, for example, these are just hypothetical figures, they're gaining weight. I mean, they should actually be losing a substantial amount had a 500 calorie deficit but unfortunately as a result of this adapted bmr which is very often related to pcos um that they are in this more difficult scenario and again women being smaller in in size anyway they're up against it um so those are the only occasions where you have distinct changes within physiology otherwise the the amount we're going to play with is actually relatively small it's just um about finding the right tools to to use to get there. To, it's all very well being told to lose weight and be in a calorie deficit. That's why four weeks, four kilos is about here are all the tools to get you into a calorie deficit. Yeah, no. And and where can people go to, to learn more about that and what they can do in January uh, with you? Yeah, that's cool. Um, so if they head to fourweeks4kilos.com or performancephysique forward slash fourweeks4kilos, um, we've got the January program which is starting January 9th. Um, we should do a, uh, an outside offer. I'll, I'll create a coupon. I love that. Yeah, let's do outside 20 to get 20% off. Um, you'll need to remind me. To <laughs> <laughs> You've committed just to came, it. Yeah, just came to my head. It. It's recorded. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and basically we've got the, the January 9th. Um, next intake will start. We'll work for four weeks and basically get a lot of people to their goals. And a lot of people might not actually need to lose weight, but they need some tools in order to understand how to manage their weight. That's the process. I mean, that's amazing. And in a world where, like you said, we've spoken about social media and there are these other weight loss programs which call foods sins and things like that, you know, it works for some people, but to, to have this conversation and and give people the the information that will help them and try and take all of this complicated information. And it can be complicated and it, yeah. it, you know, yeah, it is it's something yeah. you should consider, but to try and make it as basic as possible as we can in, in an hour and a half. Like, thank, thank you so much. It's been, I've been really excited to have this conversation and um, it's, it, it's been really, really good. I just want to finish with, before I ask you for your advice and, and other, you know, links where people can find you, 
obviously you're doing this in January and it's a, a fantastic motivation, but what's your other tips? I mean, you went running on Monday in the cold. What's your tip to trying to get people to take that step outdoor in January? And it, it doesn't have to be a run, doesn't have to be going to the gym for two hours, but it might just be a, a 10, 15 minute walk. How yeah. do you encourage people to, to get up in the morning or go out in the evening in these months? Um, really, really difficult when it is dark and cold. Just think, are you going to be worse off for doing it? It's as simple as that. Are you going to be worse off? Do 10 minutes. Promise me that you'll do 10 minutes. And at 10 minutes, you make your decision of, you know what, this is really, really rubbish. I'm really not enjoying this. Go home. That's fine. You've done your 10 minutes. If at 10 minutes it's going great, stick to whatever you were going to do. It's all things for goal setting and stuff like that. But basically, just evaluate whether it's going to benefit you or hurt you. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but certainly from my point of view, I've never regretted mm. a walk, a run, a workout, a training session. Yeah. Okay, it might not be the best one you've ever done, but you've done it. Yeah. And, and that certainly is the motivation. Where can people go to find out more information about you? Um, so again, uh, it's performancephysique.co.uk or if they look on social media, performance underscore physique. Um, we have loads of free advice on, on Instagram, YouTube, um, there is obviously my personal website as well, but I've got the longest surname in the world. So, <laughs> so it's probably easier just to go to Performance Physique and you'll find me there. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's Thanks genuinely, so much, there's, there's been it. so much advice and information in this podcast, but Peace. I'm going to ask you for a one piece of advice. It can be about anything yeah. uh, for someone who will be coming onto the podcast in the near future. Cool. Um, don't start your evening with a drink above 5.0%. In, no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, a piece of advice that I think we can always remember is, is effectively stop worrying about the judgment of others on you. At the end of the day, people are too busy to actually have a realistic judgment on someone else, which is valuable. The people who really care about you just be there to support you and bring you out on the other side amazing Arj thank you so much Tom thanks very much for having us thank you so much to Arj for jumping on the podcast it was honestly such a pleasure to chat to him and hear all of the information that he has to give and of course there's so much more that you can find over at performancephysique.co.uk again four weeks four kilos starting on the 9th of January you can get 20% off by heading over to that website uh, getting involved and using code OUTSIDE20 exclamation mark, 20% off. You can lose up to and over five kilograms and uh, join an amazing community just like this outside and active community. Thank you for listening to this first episode in 2023. If you think there's someone who would enjoy this just as much as you, please forward it on to them. Let's grow this community. And if you're able to leave a review, then please do so. We always want to learn, want to hear all of the positive feedback. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Outside and Active podcast. But until that time, enjoy the outdoors.